Footy Prime, the podcast is brought to you by Tony Bet, official sponsor of the CPL and presenting sponsor of Canada's unofficial voice of footy. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. You're listening to Footy Prime News and Such, your one-stop destination for footy news and such. Footy Prime, your almost daily footy fix. Hello there, footy primers. Welcome to News and Such, a big show today. Later on, we'll talk all things uh, European football with, of course, a splash of Canada with, with our good friend Christian Jack. But to start with, um, quite the week for Canadian soccer, quite the year for Canadian soccer. Obviously, the women win gold at the Olympics. The men are on the brink, the cusp of a World Cup qualification. So who better to talk to than the president of the CSA, Dr. Nick Bontis. Nick, is it too early to say are your flight's booked? I mean, as president, like how, how guarded are you about how you're optimistic about what's happening here? Uh, I think the politically correct answer is uh, what one foot's in the door, right? But there's still another foot outside of the door. So, uh, you know, let's wait for the next window so we can celebrate properly. Um, It sucks that the first game's not home because that would have been nice to celebrate in front of the fans. But you know what? It doesn't matter. I mean, when we play that Jamaica game, when John decides where he wants to play it, I'm sure Canadian fans will go absolutely nuts. You know what? That is going to be a party. Uh, whether they've clinched already or whether they clinched that night, it's going to be a great party wherever it is. <clears throat> Toronto, be my field. Um, all right, <laughs> Nick, um, the, the world's watching. That, that's what you've said. The world is watching Canadian soccer right now. Does a qualification for a World Cup put Canada officially on the map or is there still much work to do? I think it does. It, 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 a qualification puts us on the map. I think the journey that the men have been on in the last, well, since last year, if you recall, when we started in the depths of 41 CONCACAF teams just to qualify, and what we've been able to do coming from that, don't forget, we were uh, not respected enough to make the top group at that point in time, and now look what we've done. And let's also not forget, this is on the heels of of, of the women who paved the way. The, the women have been champions longer than the men have been champions, let's be honest, the men haven't won. But the women with, uh, you know, 2012 bronze, then bronze again, and then gold last year. So Canada is definitely on the map. I can tell you that, you know, my colleagues at CONCACAF and FIFA, they've all been messaging me. And it, it, it's a resurgence. You know, the, the, there was times when we would beg for friendlies with other countries. And now I've got how many football federations today alone that contacted me to say, hey, we're getting ready to set up a friendly with you guys. Well, that's an interesting one. Let's go read into that because you look at the situation going back to 94 and then us not qualifying, we're just missing out, but we had 
a great run of games as warm-ups because we obviously run along the American border and it was handy for Brazil, Germany, Holland, Morocco, and Spain to play against us. Now, this is a bit of a different area of the world. Um, who do you go to? Where do you play? Where would John want to play to get a bit of a feel of that Middle Eastern uh, atmosphere and culture that's obviously going to be different again for these players? How do you choose? Well, you know what? The first decision, Craig, is uh, where's home base for Canada? Here we are talking about home base. Please forgive me that I'm moving so far ahead. Please forgive me. But yeah, I I mean, that's a conversation John is going to have with the technical staff. That conversation is very important for every head coach that goes into a World Cup, as you know. And then based on that decision, you know, I mean, obviously it's in Qatar, but maybe he chooses to not be necessarily close to the Middle East. Maybe he chooses to be in Northern Africa. Maybe he chooses to be in Southern Europe. So I think that's the first decision, Craig. And then from that, you can decide who you want to play. Clearly, there's a lot of African nations. We could potentially play South European nations. But in addition to those, there's going to be countries that all of a sudden are looking over our shoulder going, you know what, Canada's a perfect team to play against. You know, I'm thinking of the Argentinians and the Brazilians of the world that might en route to Europe say, Hey, we're going to stop by uh, Vancouver or Toronto or whatever. Um, Mm. But again, the other big decision, you know, getting ahead of ourselves is the April world cup draw. Once we know the draw, we know countries that we're not allowed to play for friendlies. So let's start with that, Craig. Right. Actually, you know, speaking of that as well, in the draw, a lot of talk around pot three, pot four, and, you know, whether there's, you know, jumping into that pot three is really going to be a massive advantage. I mean, for for me, I would say not as much as you're going to get the pot one for sure. You're going to get a powerhouse. But the ones in pot two, there's a couple in there, Germany and Holland, that, you know, that's not those are the teams you have to avoid. I think that's more important, actually, than what pot we're in. I don't think anybody else really terrifies me quite as much as pot two could. That's a good point. Uh, yeah, obviously, the, the pot three discussion has uh, started to, uh, uh, to increase in earnest. I think there's another point, Craig, that you didn't mention, which is who's lucky enough to get cutter from pot one, right? I mean, generally speaking, the host is in the 1A slot. You know, no offense to cutter, but, I mean, they're, you know, they're not the same as Belgium, after all, so... Uh, Yeah, I mean, uh, all interesting potential threads of drama that could occur that day, uh, which is why I believe that John, he's going for it. I I do not see him relenting or slowing down for the next window. Uh, Why would you? We're undefeated. We're the kings of CONCACAF. He's got other players I'm sure he wants to assess between now and the World Cup, and he's going to go for it. Yeah, John says, you know, we haven't even reached our our goal yet. You know, aside from qualifying for a World Cup, we've got other goals that we haven't reached. So that just shows the confidence of this group heading into this qualifying campaign. Um, regarding your goals, Nick, uh, there's so many conversations already, you know, in, in the football media world talking about what this can do for Canadian soccer. Will mm-hmm. corporate Canada engage and, and wake up and support <laughs> this program? Um, are you confident they will, or do you think they still need those guarantees? I still think that my colleagues and I, on you know the staff as well as the board, we, we got a lot of work to do, James. You know, I, I wish I could say, yeah, of course we're qualifying. All the banks and the retail companies and the tech companies will start throwing money our way, but you know, and I know that's not how it works. You still kind of convince organizations that this is the right return on investment, not on the men's side, but not, not sorry, not only on the men's side, but on the women's side as well. And frankly, you know, one thing to not forget, which I think we often forget, yes, COVID and the pandemic and the lockdown was difficult for Canada soccer, that everybody understands that. But COVID pandemic and the lockdown was also very difficult for corporate Canada, 
So corporate Canada is also on recovery. So, you know, when they start to pull out now in March, April, May, June, and they make their long-term decisions of where they're going to put their discretionary philanthropic funds, the Mm -hmm. pot for them is not going to be as big as it used to be either. So the competition Mm -hmm. just intensifies, James, not just to get their attention, but to actually grab money from their sponsorship pools. Right. We, I can completely understand that. Um, what the advantage I think is we have is we have 2026 as well. So that's got to strengthen your uh, bargaining power a little bit yeah. for the assurances of that. I mean, it's not assured yet, but let's face it, Canada is going to get a spot. I mean, you can tell me different, but yeah. um, they're, they're going to get a, an automatic spot. Yeah. And that's going to give also years of momentum for our program. To just keep building. The women have been doing it for the last decade. They haven't looked back since I remember doing the qualifying for the 2012 Olympic Games at BC Place out there when they qualified and Christine Sinclair scoring. And by the way, we got the, you know, top goal scorer in international football, men or women. Yeah. Let me, let me, what are we talking about here? Let me bring the two threads together, uh, Craig, if I can. So the first thread is about, you know, interest from corporate Canada. The second thread is about individuals. Those two threads are actually quite related because, you know, uh, there is a certain appeal for team sponsorship. You know, the Raptors have sponsors, the Leafs have sponsors, and the Canada men's team have sponsors. But sports fans love heroes. That's what they really love. You know, they love the Michael Jordans of the world and the LeBron James of the world. And, you know, on the women's side, we have it still with Christine. Uh, The baton has not been passed yet. I'm sure Christine believes she can hold on to it and all the power to her because she's still being recognized for FIFA awards. On the men's side, Craig, let's be honest, this is brand new. You know, we've got a superstar brewing in Fonzie who wasn't here. And hasn't been for everything either because he wasn't here for some stuff previous to that. And we have some other gentlemen waiting in the wings to take the mantle off Fonzie if that one doesn't work. I think that's where you have the magic moment is not just the team really doing well, but you have superstars that are pushing the envelope because that's when corporate sponsors say, okay, I can use that superstar to sell X, Y, Z. Because don't forget, it's hard for a team to sell something. But a superstar can really sell something on behalf of a corporate partner. How do you, the CSA, now convince um, the superstar athletes that you will do this job? You will market them properly? Because Craig will tell you, you know this too, Nick, you know, in, in generations past, the CSA's dropped the ball as far as marketing their players and yeah. their stars. How do you get that trust from Alfonso Davis, from John David? I mean, I think it's a relationship that evolves over time, James. You know, I'm not going to promise that it's turned around 180 degrees because this is something that's going to take some time. And it's not just even with sponsorship. It's with media interviews and, you know, and players trusting us that the media or the podcast or or whoever is interviewing them is not going to ask them a question to embarrass them either. I mean, there's a lot of ways the athletes, you know, interact with us. And I think that relationship is improving over time. I would hope that it's improving over time, at least since the time I've been on the board. And, and you know, when the World Cup comes along in Qatar, yes, okay, we're all excited, we're, we're positive, but, get, but guess what, James? The scrutiny now becomes <laughs> even greater. Uh, more people are watching. More people can criticize. More people can say, why is he or she doing this? Why is John making that decision? So there's always a con that comes with every amazing pro. Let's never forget that. Um, you know, it's our job to make sure that we protect 
uh, the players and John and his staff and Bev Priestman and her staff. But, um, you know, we hope that the momentum towards Qatar will act as a halo effect, as Craig rightly characterized, you know, not only about Qatar, but also about what will happen in 2026. And the thing is, as well, Charm, is I, I, I wouldn't be too concerned about Alfonso and his, uh, you know, need to be exposed by, you know, help by the Canadian Soccer Association. He's doing just fine in the world of the social media. <laughs> and most of the other guys are doing pretty well, too. But still, not even close. I mean, let's be let's face it. Um, Fonzie sits in front of a microphone with a heart condition, by the way. I mean, jumping around. <laughs> Gee, and you know, I, I think Fonzie actually probably did more to promote the, the platform of Twitch than anything else, right? So it, 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 oh, works, yeah. both, it works both ways. Uh, I mean, I've retweeted his videos myself only because there is no other characterization of pure bliss and joy than I've seen in, in the way Fonzie just goes ballistic. And mm-hmm. it, it's what happened with me when we scored. It's what happened with my kids in my house when we scored. And I think it's it's a great visual because – it shows everybody across Canada. Yeah, you can celebrate like a freak in your in your family room, just like Fonzie is, and all the other families we've seen doing it as well. And and that just re- takes me back almost. It reminds me that does it give us as an association a little bit more strength because of our diversity on the field as far as moving forward for sponsorship. Yeah, I mean, diversity, absolutely, Craig. Um, but, you know, uh, Canada soccer is not just responsible for Bev and John's team. As you know, we're responsible for the whole pyramid, the youth teams all the way down to grassroots. It's our job to support the clubs, you know, Ontario soccer, BC soccer. So I believe that we've made inroads, uh, but there's so much work to be done on the diversity side. Uh, if you look at our board, Craig, uh, I'm proud of the diversity of our board. We have, you know, female uh, uh, representation. We have black individual representation. Uh, you know, all you got to do is go back and look at the archives, Craig. And I don't have to tell you what the board looked like back in the day. So I'm very proud of that. Even our vice president, uh, Charmaine Crooks. I mean, she's a she's an Olympian, a, a superhero. And, uh, you know, she became uh, such a significant member of the board not having had a soccer background either so uh you know i I don't know if you guys know but i I was a track athlete myself in in my university days so it was great to reconnect with charmaine uh on the track side of things so diversity can be measured in multiple ways craig you're absolutely right Mm -hmm. but i don't think that's an issue uh you know you know i mean in terms of a a structural issue that sponsors will, will 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 knock us down for it's something that we continue to work hard for well, I was actually referring to it being actually not that bad. I wasn't criticizing, yeah. actually. And then also the, the boys on the field are coming from, we look at every background of every single player. I and mean, we were touching all parts of the world and the best things that are uh, what I think is Canada and the diversity. Um, it perfectly illustrates that on the field. Yeah. Uh, but also, Nick, I'd ask you then down the road, we just hope that that diversity, we see it happen in the Premier League with the 25% black players, but only out of the 92 professional clubs, there's six and a half percent black coaches. Right. So there's obviously a, there's, there's a bias there. We need to transfer these guys as well from playing into that type of role as well. And I I think that that's obviously down the road, but uh, can we do it? Can we do it properly? Yeah, I mean, Craig, the way you do it is by just doing it. Like, I'm going to steal the line from Nike, okay? When I was elected president, I just did it. I said, Charmaine Crooks, you're the vice president. This is who I want as the vice president. So sometimes you just have to do things. Brittany Timko. Brittany, I'm going to reach out to you. Guess what? I want you on the board. We have to have... And a former national team athlete on the board, you're going to be on the board. So 
individuals, Craig, make a difference when it comes to fixing the diversity problem. You can have all the policies and regulations and frameworks and, and ratios. It's the same thing with my real job as a university professor, Craig. I mean, same exact thing. Why are so many university professors old white guys? Well, guess what? I'm now chair of the department. I'm going to go after an indigenous male or, or, or a Chinese woman and hire them. Individuals are the ones that, you know, close the gap on diversity. That, that takes us to, to the alumni. Um, should there be a greater role for alumni, do you think, in, in Canadian soccer? I'm seeing yeah, these huge, you know, huge I'm games. Batting. And why isn't Craig Forrest, I'm embarrassed Craig now, he hates me, <laughs> but why isn't Craig Forrest, why isn't Jim Brennan, why isn't Paul Stoltz, what, you know, Julian de Guzman being paraded out before games? Why aren't they being celebrated? Why aren't they being pitched? Why aren't they being used as pitched men? You know, because that yeah. seems to me a real, there's a lack of that for a number of years. Yeah, I think you're right, James. Uh, when I started doing my work with Canada Soccer, I, I was saddened that, you know, there was no alumni network per se. Uh, you know, I come from the university f- world and guess what? We, we specialize in alumni networks because that's how we get our money. Um, you know, and having said that, we also have some structural deficiencies as well. And, and, and I'll point to the way the U.S. Soccer Federation is structured where, you know, players and alumni players actually have a more prominent role from a government structure perspective in terms of the votes that they get as members of U.S. soccer versus Canada soccer. You know, we have two former athletes as members of Canada soccer who who can vote whichever way they wish. But the, 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 the percentage of votes that they get is not as high as I think it should be. So these are things that slowly but surely, James, we can change. I think there's an appetite absolutely to change them. Um, reaching out to athletes is important for me because – I'm a fan. I'm a soccer player myself. I still play old timers. And I think you're 100% right. If we don't transition players into roles, not only on the coaching side, but also on the administration side, you know, we do our own self a disservice. And we, you know, when you look at a guy like Alfonso 20 years down the road, yeah, do you want him to be part of it? Do you want the, you know, the, those, those players to see him for him to be a part of it and even a legacy that he leaves that hey boys you know you're going to move on there's opportunities for him for you to go into coaching roles or yeah media roles or board roles or things like that and i think that yeah. that's something we've always been missed and I, I know we've talked about it years ago i've talked to with victor montaliani as well about it who has made some fantastic ch- changes and things before you came on the board as, uh, as president as well so it looks in good shape we uh, obviously we're going to have a little bit of money come into the association but you know Everybody wants a chunk of that and it's going to be very difficult uh, as well. So you're not going to be able to do everything. What is the first thing if you have a couple hundred grand in your pocket to spend money on in the CSA, what would you spend it on? It's a great question, Craig. Um, You know, if I had $200,000, the first place I'd put that money is $100,000 on each side of the men's and women's youth programs. Um, The youth programs, unfortunately, had very little activity, if any, during COVID. And it, 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 it's a sad state of affairs. I mean, a lot of it is not our fault, as you know, because when FIFA cancels the U-17 and when FIFA cancels the U-20s, what are we going to do? We're not, not going to actually go invest in prepping a team that doesn't have a competition to play for. But we also wanted to make sure that Bev and John had everything they needed to go ahead and win a gold medal, to go ahead and qualify for cutters. So now it's incumbent on the board 
to take, you know, whatever money we've got left over and spread it out so we can reignite the youth programs. And I'm proud to say, you know, James and, and Craig, that last week we had our board meeting and we approved the budget. And yeah, that was what was in the budget. It was, okay, let's ramp up the 20s, the 17s, the 15s, pair of football, right? Uh, you know, all, all the other programs that unfortunately were were put to bed. And, and it goes all the way down to grassroots as well, because you know that a lot of clubs have been shut down for two years because of the lockdown. Absolutely brutal. Now, uh, can you tell us if the government and if they do, I mean, how significant amount of uh, help we're getting from the Canadian federal government? Yeah. So right now, obviously, and I don't want to criticize the government because it's it's such an easy target for a bunch of things. Um, you know, their their priorities have been elsewhere. You know, their priorities have been, you know, with healthcare and COVID and investing money in, 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 in ramping up that infrastructure. And, 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 and that's where it should be. So I got no problem with that. Mm-hmm. Um, Own the Podium is the Sport Canada investment arm that helps support Olympic athletes, as you know. And Own the Podium has been absolutely influential in the investment on the women's side because of the bronze, bronze, gold. Thank goodness, Craig, had we not won the gold, had let's say we not medaled, for example, in Tokyo, there's another big pot of money that we would have not been able to access because that's how the government you know, uh, gives the money. Gover- money comes on strings, Craig. It's not just free money, right? It, it ha- there's a reason why you get it. And sometimes they tell you how to spend it as well. So our job as a board is to wherever there, wherever possible, and there is a discretionary choice, make sure that we spread it enough around to maximize and leverage the ROI. I would love to have a $100 million budget or a $200 million budget, like, you know, Spain, Germany, and US. We could you bolster every program, as you know, Craig. But given the money that we have, we have to do a really, really good job at optimizing the way we spread it out. Um, obviously, qualifying for World Cup brings in money, as discussed before. How much? We, we don't know. But from a governmental standpoint, will they open the coffers for a qualification? Um, you know, John John has put together a big team behind the scenes. I can't imagine right. it's cheap. You know, uh, no. failure, I can imagine, would have been a big issue. So it looks like the qualifying, is that is that a relief? You know what, uh, James, the government will get involved more with 26. And I'll tell you why, because it's here, right? It's, it's a tourist opportunity. It's an infrastructure opportunity. We can build fields. You know, if you recall, when 2015 came for the women, we asked for money from FIFA to help provide FIFA level two turf for a lot of the fields across the country. I mean, that was the legacy investment. And then I'll do the same with 2026, you know, with, with, with our staff, you know, we'll see if we can, you know, build more fields, build, a, you know, one, Craig will know this. We don't have a national training center, you know, like Spain does or Mexico or, or so many other countries. That's a priority. You know, we need FIFA funds to help build a national training center. But then that gets matched, obviously, with the province in question or on the federal side. And then with regards to uh, other opportunities, uh, you were talking about 26. It's not just the city. So, I mean, obviously, we're talking about Toronto and Edmonton here. There's huge opportunities for cities that can host countries, as you know, James. Right. So, you know, we were in Hamilton last weekend. Hamilton did a good job at, you know, putting its hand up and saying, hey, FIFA, we can do a good job. And, you know, imagine Italy or Serbia or Greece saying, hey, in 2026, we are going to stay in Hamilton. We're going to train every day at Tim Hortons Field. And every time we train, we're going to open the field up for fans to come watch. And we're going to eat at the restaurants in downtown Hamilton and walk the streets. And guess what, James? That lasts for 30 days. That's an even better opportunity for more communities across Canada than, you know, a game that is 90 minutes long, per se. Speaking of Hamilton, 
How good was that? <laughs> uh, I mean, come on. I mean, okay, forget about uh, how many people ended up sneaking in there, but the atmosphere was something I've never seen as a player in Canada ever before. And it made my hair just stand up on my back yeah. and give me chills. And, yeah, you know, you're from around this area. Um, you must have been incredibly proud, uh, Nick. Beaming, Craig, beaming. I mean, look, I, I've been a player and a fan since the days you played, Craig, and before. And you're right, man. I've never seen that. Never. I was in Edmonton, too, during the Ice Tecca. But the Ice Tecca became the Ice Cap. And that Ice Cap, Lord have mercy. And you know what the best part, Craig, is? The gamesmanship started before the game. Right. Like the red smoke, the streamers, the snowballs, the attacking of the Americans as they were walking in. And then, you know, the, the, the cheering of the, like, oh, you heard the interviews. John and the player said, I've never seen that in my life. This was unbelievable. And let me tell you something <laughs> that came right through within the first five minutes. I knew we were going to score a goal in the first five minutes. Like you just knew they were going to carry that momentum. And then at the end, Craig, oh, my God, in the 95th minute, like, how, how do you even – I couldn't ask Steven Spielberg to say, create a Hollywood script of what's <laughs> going to happen in a soccer game. It, it, it couldn't have been scripted any better. No. And, and the fans went nuts, nuts. And what was Sam doing up there? All of a sudden, it's like, what? what, what? Oh, he's, he's in on goal. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? He, like, has light, he has those light blue cleats, you've probably noticed, yeah. that just shine when he sprints. I noticed them. he was wearing them again last night against El Salvador. And, you know, he, he's the only one that wears that light blue color. So it's really easy to pick them off when you're, when you're looking for them. That makes them look even faster. Maybe I should wear them. I'm doing some, <laughs> some any edge I can get when I'm running up and down the field. Not that I do that often these days. Um, you know, the three of us, Nick, you know, we're so ingrained in, in football culture, right? There's perhaps sometimes you get a little bit blinkered. Do you think Canada is close to becoming a football nation or, you know, are we still a, a while off there? Because I'm, I'm a bit skeptical. I think we will get there eventually. I think a World Cup berth will make a huge, huge inroads there. But I, I'm not sure how far away we are from that. Yeah, you're right. I mean, we are we are so enclosed. You know, we hang out with the same people. We talk to the same people. And all I've got to do is speak to a couple of my students. And they know their bloody professor, you know, has something to do with Canada soccer. And even my students had no clue there was a game. So what does that teach you, James? It teaches you that, yeah, there's people out there that have no clue and will never have a clue. Um, but what I can tell you is this. I invited some, you know, some VIPs to attend the game in Hamilton that had nothing to do with soccer. They, in fact, told me they had never been to a soccer game before in their lives. Couldn't even tell you a single name of a player. And in fact, many of them were, you know, baseball fans or basketball fans or hockey fans. I can tell you after those 90 minutes, Lord have mercy, did the, you know, the switch turn on, right? Uh, yeah. One of them, Monday morning, first thing, what can I do to get involved? And that's what you want to hear as a president. You host these corporate sponsors, you blow their minds, you show them the product on the field. And then Monday morning, Nick, that was the best sporting experience I've ever attended in my life. And I know this guy attends tons of sporting events, but you cannot compare it to football when people are singing nonstop for 90 minutes. And that mm. script that I talked about with Craig, you could have not scripted it any better. I wish I could have packaged it in a bottle, James, and just, <laughs> shared it with every potential sponsor that I meet over the next couple of years. I think James, when you talk about, you know, uh, being a little bit skeptical about, you know, the future, I am a little bit too, but I look back and I think, you know, back to the 86 team that qualified a one-off, it did some 
probably definitely did a bump, obviously, in, uh, you know, kids playing uh, in Canada. And then the one off of the Gold Cup in 2000, we thought, you know what, maybe this will will help. Um, maybe a little bit. We all went back to our teams. And then next thing you know, it's kind of forgotten. I think it's about sustainable winning. You get It's got to be it's winning and sustainable winning. And just keep doing that. The win, women are doing that. And they're building this unbelievable following. And I think we need to do that in the men. I think that is key, uh, Nick. Yeah, Craig, I think you nailed it. It is, it is sustainable performance on the field. It's also what I call the likability of the characters in the story. I mean, this is a story, like you're reading a book or watching a movie, you know, people are watching Netflix. Well, guess what? We have characters. We have, you know, Adekube who does crazy things. He's a character now in a story, right? So um, John, I mean, we, we, we cannot underestimate uh, or underassess the impact he's had on both sides. I mean, that, that, the, the truth is that he is garnering so much respect globally now, not just because of what he did with the women, which would have been enough. Uh, but what he's done with the men, and uh, let's be honest, gentlemen, when we uh, moved him over to the men's side, huh, that wasn't the most popular decision on the planet. And and here we are now where you have players that are walking off the field in interviews and all they're doing is, you know, garnering so much respect for this gentleman in terms of what he's done. And you're right. It's at this elite level, Craig, you know, so much of it, 90% is just mental, cultural, you know, togetherness. All the players are good players. Uh, but that's not to belittle John's tactical acumen either. Uh, as a coach, he made some really bloody good decisions where he outcoached the other coach, Craig. Last night was mm-hmm. another perfect example where he brought on, you know, the three attackers, including Alistair in the, I don't know, I think it was about the 70th minute or so. Boom. As soon as those guys came on the field, the game was entirely different. And up until then in the second half, Craig, as you know, El Salvador was, you know, they were building momentum. They could have done some damage. So I never want to under- underestimate John's tactic- tactical acumen because he's such a ma- an amazing inspirational leader and people think oh he can only be one he can't be both it's a great point i I think in in a pretty naive football market which is what we still are and that's not criticized in this market but we're a pretty naive football market um it is i think john's tactical acumen is lost in his charisma right people see the smile and the character and that's that's lost so we should celebrate it what i do strongly believe is that when they get to the world cup we will become one of the stories you know the global football market loves an underdog story and they like good characters. And this team has great characters from its coach on downwards. And I think that bodes so well for, for what's going to come up. Um, you know, the world is going to just love what they see from Canada. Regardless whether it's three and out, whether it's a semi-final berth, you know, they're going to embrace this team. And, and that will grow That will grow this uh, this nation uh, more than anything, I think. So I agree with you 100%. Great. Agree with you 100%, but I definitely do not want to go there not scoring a goal. So let's get that idea out of our heads right now. Hey, We're gonna I think for a lot that. of fans at uh, this point, it's just gravy. Hey, they're there. I can't believe it. It's yeah. fantastic. But uh, what, what a ride it is. Um, listen, we, we could talk for hours, Nick. We really could. And we'll have you on again uh, re- real soon. But thank you so much. Um, you know, you know, do know that pretty soon, though, you'll be having to address things like human rights issues and, and the serious issues yes. of World Cups. That's on its way as well. But right yes, now, I think... Yeah. Uh, you know, we can just embrace and, and enjoy what, what's happening on the field. And, that's, and, uh, and thank you. Thank you, gentlemen, because the one thing that I do want to do, because Canadians really don't do this well, celebrate, man. Let's bloody celebrate. I mean, holy smokes. Have we been under the gun for so many decades uh, with this men's team? And now we see a light at the end, end of the tunnel. You know, let's enjoy it. And then, James, when the time comes to get ready for, uh, for Cutter, you know, we'll buckle down and get ready. 
And, you know, one of the other things, Nick, you hear from people like, oh, we're going to get a bunch of bandwagon jumpers. All the better. I think yeah. everybody wants to jump 100%. on. We have our own Dan Wong. He's our resident, didn't know anything about soccer guy, which is really important. He asked questions that, you know, maybe they, the new fan. Yeah, like where could I get one of those jerseys? <laughs> supply chain that. issues supply chain issues <laughs> nick thank you so much really appreciate this uh, and we'll have you on again real soon yeah let's uh, let's have a big celebration after the next window gentlemen thank you for having me absolutely that is dr nick bontis canadian soccer association president and you know what boys by march the 31st we should be open completely, I think. I'm feeling optimistic. Would there be bars and restaurants open? We're going to have a good time. We're going to party. All right. That was a great chat. Really fascinating. Time to move on to part two of today's news and such. Christian Jack, back from the past, returns to join me on a media platform. Welcome back to part two of Footy Prime's News and Such. Uh, Brendan Dunlop joins us, fresh from the Olympics. Uh, is that still going on, B? Uh, yeah, yeah. The uh, fireworks have literally just gone off. So, yes, it's officially started, and uh, I, I already feel like it's been on for two weeks. You oh, seem God. to wear your best for us, uh, for the CBC, uh, than you do for us, I'm just saying. Well, you want the sport coat, buddy? You miss it? Is that not- the same T-shirt you had on last night? It is. I slept in this. Yeah, I've been wearing this for three days. This is. I want. Holy I want shit. the ponytail. You know that ponytail you wear for nah. CBC? It's it's gone, man. I've got a nice new cut now. I look like uh, you know an Instagram model. Yeah, that's good. Oh, you're so so modest and humble. Yeah, that's the thing about you. Yeah, it really is. Um, and then he woke up. You know, it's day one, right? And the, the ceremonies have finished and already he's bitching about working too hard and being tired. <laughs> it's the, it's just the hours, you know, it's, it's the switch of the hours. Not complaining, <laughs> just commentating on it, not complaining. <laughs> we have another guest joining us now. We're very excited about, uh, you, you might recognize his name, football fans. Uh, one soccer analyst, he's in Sirius XM. He's, he's more importantly, the vice president of media and content at the Canadian Premier League. My old cohort from many, 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 many years ago. It's Christian Jack. KJ, what's happening, pal? I was just reflecting on how we would never have allowed Dunlop to get away with calling himself an Instagram model when we did our old show. <laughs> I'm, I'm We're not going to let him get away with it here either. No, <laughs> yeah, I get hammered here too, buddy. I, nothing has changed except time, and I have more gray hairs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, B, we love you anyway. Hey, KJ, um, exciting times, isn't it? For football, we'll get to your new gig uh, in, in a little bit, but we've had some time to breathe now, and I think it's beginning to settle that Canada's going to qualify for a World Cup, and they're bossing CONCACAF right now. But let's start with a tough question for all of us here. Um, is Canada actually good, or is it um, a combination of being a pretty decent team and a very a wilting CONCACAF right now that isn't as strong as it has been in the past, and that when they play the, the top teams from South America or Europe, they might be shown up. What's your thoughts, Cage? Uh, no, no, I think it's a fair question because I do think CONCACAF is weaker, but I do think Canada are good. And I do think they're going to be fine when they go to a World Cup. I don't think we're going to see anything you know, resembling what Panama did against England in the, in the 2018 World Cup, for example. I don't think they're going to be picking out the ball out the back of the net seven or eight times in a World Cup, no matter who they play. So... No, I think they're good. I think that, you know, and Craig will know a lot more about this than I'll ever know, but I, I think that they have they have that collective attitude and effort 
that is just evolving everything else above everything else. The talent is there for so many other players, but for me, um, no, I think they're a really good team right now. Now, you know, we don't know the rhythm or, and, and the disruptions it's going to take between now and, this, and, and November. Um, but for me, th- they've got to that level now where no matter the playing, whoever they're playing, they think they're going to win. And more importantly, whoever they're playing, particularly El Salvador the other night, they know that Canada's going to win before the game starts as well. And, and that's a massive advantage as well before you, before you kick a ball. And that's pretty special to say about the Canadian team for me. One of the interesting things, KJ, with this uh, with this side as well, that we a lot of maybe neutral fans or fans who just got into the game uh, don't realize is that they have pressures from club sides. Uh, they are now back to their clubs for several weeks now, trying to get their feet in the ground. There's a few trying to make that adjustment, like Tejan Buchanan in Belgium, and they, and some of the guys trying to get into the teams, stay in the teams and pressures from the clubs as well along the way. So the players have to deal with an awful lot. And I think they have so far dealt with it well, as well as the fact that some of the MLS guys are coming off uh, a season that they haven't played for a few months, you know. So John Herdman's really had to balance that and try to figure out uh, all these different challenges along the way that these players have really dealt with well. But club football, as you know, is very important to the players. It's the bread and butter. It's who the pay the wages. And there is some pressures against those guys, too, that I think some of them are feeling. Yeah, I think that's a great point, you know, and I think that was really evident in this window, right? Like Sam Adekubi was immense. Sam Adekubi played almost as many minutes than any other player when you look at from Edmonton to to the new world, this World Cup window. You know, he played he's played like 12 or 13 regular games already in Turkey, and you could see that he had those minutes and he had those legs and he had that enthusiasm. And he's coming from an environment that they're trusting him and that 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 that. that has allowed him to get better. And I think that's why Richie Larea has gone to Nottingham Forest because he wants to get better in an environment like that where every game matters. And I think there's a message. I don't think I know. There's a message to these players to go go into a more you know, captivating competitive environments as much as you possibly can because it's just rising all boats at the moment on that level. So I think that mentality, that European mentality that Tejan's now going, as you mentioned, Craig, is certainly helping them as well. And, um, you know, you know what that's like firsthand, but I just think that a lot of these MLS players, if they're at the right age, they're all looking to follow that kind of pathway. I think you're right. And and, uh, and going on about that a little bit, uh, the guys are like Richie Larea is a great example. Uh, he's uh, gone over there. He's only trained a few times, three or four times, I think, with Nottingham. Had to come back to Canada for a visa, then go back, then come back for international. And who knows what kind of pressures he's under there. I'm not saying he's under a great deal, but to give you an idea, uh, Mikel Antonio went to play uh, for Jamaica, West Ham player. Um, this is what David Moyes has said recently, and this is, may give you an idea of sort of what the pressures these guys are under. Mikel will arrive today from Jamaica, which you can imagine is not particularly good, said Moyes. It is a terrible situation. It's players will be away for another, uh, for others as well, African Cup of Nations, meaning their clubs have not got them. But this is an international break. The schedules of all the games is really tough on these guys. And people are trying to squeeze games in. I understand that. But people have to remember the clubs are paying their wages. And you would say you wouldn't say it was hardly correct to get your tit, your players back at 11 a.m. on a Friday before they play a game on Saturday at 1230. Nothing's changed, though, fellas. I mean, that's that's been the same issue for years. Clubs whining about international breaks. Sorry, the world doesn't revolve around you, David Moyes and West Ham. That That pisses me off when I hear those comments. We hear them all the time, right? I understand yeah. that, but it's time, I think, that club football also acknowledges that, you know, the world does want to see international football. And you're right. 
you pay the wages, we get that, but nothing's changed. It's, it's, it's the same as it's always been. Um, mm-hmm. you, don't see, you don't hear MLS teams whine quite as much, do you, as, as the European teams? Um, yet we want our players to leave MLS to go to Europe to get those competitive environments. Um, mm-hmm. If you're a player, you're kind of caught in this, this gray area, right? It's, it's not easy. It's got to be very difficult because if you're a young player, like if you are Richie Larea, or if you, let's say you're Alfonso, and there's a window coming up where with or without him, they're going to qualify. And Julian Nagelsmann says, listen, Fonzie, you know, you just got back from, from this heart condition. You know, you, maybe you want to pull a hamstring. It happens. We've spoken to players before mm-hmm. about it. And, I mean, if you're a young player trying to find your, your place in your club team, I can understand the pressure. But to me, that mm-hmm. just is, is just it's, – it's not good enough. It frustrates me. It frustrates me too, but at the end of the day, if Antonio is making two hundred thousand pounds a week and he's off playing for Jamaica, you, you have to sympathize with the clubs as well. It's it's a really tough situation, and the players feel it sometimes, and that takes them into these games and it emotionally affects them uh, on and off the field. So it's just something for for people to think about uh, and what the guys are going through. Some of them. Yeah, I think it's it would be very naive if he didn't think those conversations were going to happen. I actually said it during the game off camera that I don't think personally Jonathan David starts all those three games if he's playing with an elite club in January. You know, I'm not saying anything about Lille, but and I know they're an elite club. They're playing in the Champions League. But you tell me if they had a lot of say, you know, they, 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 it's just not happening, guys. You know, we also what happened with Alfonso Davies, you know, you know, going back after that game, obviously in the, the second game, and we know why the reasons were, were stated. Estacchio, you know, whether you believe it or not, you know, was reportedly tested positive for COVID. Um, you know, it was never officially announced, but also just got a massive move to Porto. You know, he had enough things to take care of with that and was able to come over and play one game. You know, these are massive hurdles that international managements are going to have to do. And the only thing I would say that I do think has changed, James, and, and Craig alluded to it, is the, is the amount of money these players are getting paid. It's been going on for years and years and years, but the amount of money and the investment in these players is enormous. And, you know, you, we, we talked about it years and years ago on the footy show, the amount of the amount of pressure Sir Alex Ferguson used to put on his players. He didn't want players to play international football. The last thing he wanted players was to play for England. He used to talk it down all the time. So it's been going on for a long time. And as Craig alluded to, it's a really difficult balance. Put it this way, I, I do not imagine we'll be seeing Mikel Antonio play uh, against Canada in the next window. Now Jamaica's in, inevitably out of the qualification process. Yeah, I remember the manager saying to me, yeah, you go carry on. You want to go play for Canada. That's great. Proud of you. Way to go. Um, but by the way, if you were whoever's taking your spot does well, when you come back, you're not going to have that. You understand what we're, you know what I mean? What you're dealing with here. So that, uh, that comes into play. So they, they, they certainly uh, put those little needles in and, and uh, ask the questions for sure. <laughs> I'd say though, um, you know, part of the success of the domestic game, the club game and where that money is coming from is partly due to the success of World Cups and Euros that you, you put these guys out there their face, you, you bring in new fans in those tournaments more so than the Premier League, right? So it goes both ways. I, I get it from both sides. It is disturbing, concerning if you're a club. Um, at the same time, you know, it's international football. We love it. It's not going anywhere. So figure it out. Um, you mentioned John David there, Cage. Uh, you know, obviously a, a really good window, probably his best window, I think, in, in my, my opinion, in this qualifying campaign. Um, lots of rumors about where he's going. His agency is moving for sure this summer. What is the right fit for him? Is it England? Is it Spain? I know Arsenal's been mentioned most recently, and they've got a big chasm where Bamyang left. Uh, what, what do you think is the best move for John David? 
I think Arsenal would be fantastic because he'd play uh, consistent minutes at an enormous club with high expectations and for an outstanding young coach, uh, a no-nonsense coach, by the way, who'd just been a massive problem called the Bamiyang. So I think that was a magnificent win for Arsenal. Uh, so, yeah, I think if he was to go there, I think he's game suited for the Premier League. I think he would be outstanding in that Premier League. And though two years ago, before he went to Lille, he was close to talking to Crystal Palace. He was very close, like Dougie Freeman loved him. I didn't think that was the right move at that time because I thought if he goes to Palace in a relegation fight under Hodgson and played negative football, if he went three or four games without scoring, he'd be sitting on the bench and his you know development was the last thing you want. He still needs to do that. He still needs to play, right? So I think he's got to go to a club where he can really contend for trophies and try and fix, you know, try and get to European spots. Arsenal ticks that box, but also know that he's going to be playing most weeks and the, and the manager's going to go three, four games in a row. He's not scored for me. That's okay. By the way, he's going to be, he will be fine because it's not, it's not all, you know, up, up, up all the time for these players. So you got to go Ooh. through the, the roses and be allowed to fail. Right. What would you say, uh, Christian, about uh, Crystal Palace these days under Vieira? I think that, that it might be a bit of a different situation with that club at the moment. They seem to be you know, very well coached. She's doing very well. Situation, they look safe from any type of relegation. That might be a different situation under under that manager compared to the negativity of the previous ones. Yeah, no doubt. It's a very different uh, environment, a very different profile of a player, of a place when you're a player. But I think now Jonathan David just thinks he's too big for them. And I think he'd be okay with thinking that, right? This is a guy who wants to play Champions League football. Um, and, you know, it's got this games against, these games against Chelsea with the shot window being massively open that, you know, you we all know this, you know, when you perform well in England, they start to believe you can do it again. Until you've done it in England, they've still got that ridiculous chip on the shoulder. Like, oh, well, he's not really played in England yet. But imagine David scores at Stamford Bridge. Uh, you know, you probably put 15, 20 million pounds on his price tag after that goal, right? So <laughs> that's the thing. That's the nature of it. So he's a Champions League player now. Uh, I'm not saying he has to go to a club to play Champions League football right away, but I think someone like Arsenal... Um, you know, he's going to be great anywhere, guys. You know, I, I'm so impressed with his development. You guys have talked about it before. We all have. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a true number nine, but he's an outstanding as a number 10. He can play wide if he wants. Um, he's getting he's getting more swagger now, but the arrogance doesn't come with it on and off the pitch. He's finding his voice on and off the pitch. Um, and that just comes with time and experience with as a, as a young man and a young player. Um, and I, I've said it before. I, I think, you know, he has the potential to be, the greatest player that can, that Canada has ever had, ever, and Ooh. you know he, he really does. He has that. Maybe potential. maybe if he goes to Arsenal, he can uh, persuade uh, Marcelo Flores, who's uh, from Guelph, Canada, who's chosen to play for Mexico uh, with the new rule changes. Uh, he's not dead and buried yet for playing for Canada, so That's maybe right. he can. Yeah, we know how that influence works. I mean, when you look at Atiba in Turkey and what he's done, you know, hey Atiba, you got any other Canadian players? <laughs> yeah, sure. Let's. Let's haul them all over, and they're doing amazingly well. So maybe that's the case. They've put a little spy in the arsenal. So not only is John David now got to be our, our best player of all time and a, and a star in the Prem, but he's got to be a star recruiter as well. Jesus Christ. Just got more pressure on the kid. <laughs> yeah. I think I, put more pressure any more, on Any more pressure on the kid? Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. He's a pretty even keel guy. He is, isn't he? he? Yeah, I, and he's always... Remember, he's always wanted that. He's never not to say the MLS is not a great route, but he's he's he was determined from a young boy and talking and likes of Paul Solitary about him, uh, knowing him. He's uh, he's driven, uh, but he's you know he's he's definitely a different character as well that we see with the uh, the likes of like Alfonso, who's such an extrovert. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, at the same time, they all seem to have their feet on the ground right at the moment. Now, listen, a lot can change. You know, we've seen <laughs> we've seen kids, you know, diminutive and shy and make a big move, and their the egos explode. David, in particular, seems like a kid very much with his with his feet on the ground, especially his background. Right? I mean, you know, if you look, read into that, he's been through a lot. Um, obviously, Alfonso has as well. But we're in really good shape, I think. Let's be honest with, with the next, not just this cycle, but the next cycle as well, because as we discussed with with Nick, Craig. Um, they're going to qualify for 2026 as well as, as a host. It's not been announced officially yet, I don't think, but it's going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they can look at this big picture now as, as two World Cups. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's kids coming through the system we haven't even heard of yet, which they have their tabs on. So it bodes really, really well. Um, domestically staying in, in, in Canada a little bit, Jose Altador. Rumors today Cage is going to sign with the New England Revolution. Three-year deal which, of course, will come after. Uh, my dog's barking, by the way. I do apologize in the freaking background. Little, Big Altador fan, the dog. Yeah. <laughs> 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 a little, um, little Aldora shot on. Um, but, yeah, Josie's leaving, it sounds like. You know, he'll be bought out and then sign a three-year deal. Um, that's good for TFC. But a three-year deal on, on turf at New England? What the hell are they thinking? Well, uh, you could argue that they're buying low, uh, although there's still some saying that obviously it's a lot of money for a player that hasn't been consistent over the last, what, two or three seasons now. So, you know, it's um, for me, it's an enormous time in Josie Altidore's career. And I've said this for a, for a, probably 18 months. This is, you know, this is the chance where he's got to try and figure out what does he want from the game. You know, obviously, post game, post career, he's got a lot of things that he's working on, and he can do that. And I think that that he's going to make a big difference in this world. I really do. But what can he contribute now as a striker going forward? The one thing I like about the New England Revolution is it's a marvelously run organization. Arena's a brilliant man manager, um, and they've got a very good, a very good depth there. He's not going to be a player that needs to play every week, depending on what they do with Buxa there as well. Um, and sorry, Gustavo Bo. Uh, so that you know, he's got lots of depth there. Carlos Hill the best player in the MLS last year. So, you know, I think, James, it's a TAM deal by the sound of it. So it's not a DP. So, look, it's a bit of a gamble, I think. But this is a team that's looking to win MLS Cup. It's not a Mm -hmm. team that's going to be, you know, out of the playoffs. So I think that suits him. Uh, And I think it's a good environment for him. As you said, the turf's not great, but it doesn't need to play every week. And, uh, look, it's not been a good ride for them the last couple of years. And if he's going there on a TAM deal and he's getting bought out by TFC, then probably financially works out for both sides as well. It's and he's only England, 32. Right? I mean, he's not 35. Uh, you know, he's still got a few decent years left in him. You, you would expect uh, KJ, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think I said a year ago, I thought he could go to Qatar. It's probably a little bit too late for that. Mm. But but bear in mind his competition at that at that position. It's not strong. You know, there's not a ton of players. You're going, okay, who's going to be played as a number nine for the U.S.? We've just seen that firsthand, by the way. You know, Berhalter's right. trying to take every pressure he can off Ricardo Pepe. Last thing he's going to do, no matter what year he has, he's going to announce him as being our star number nine going to Qatar. He'd never do that for an 18-year-old kid. Um, you know, it doesn't matter who plays there, you know, whether it's Zardas or Sibichu or Sargent. You know, for me, that's it's an underwhelming position. Uh, B and I think you know you're a big Altador guy as well. But if he'd get his act together a year ago, I think mm. that spot was still possible for him. Yeah, I think there was an opportunity there. I mean, I think in his head he thinks that he can go to New England and tear it up. That he's right back in that conversation. And there'll be a lot of Americans and American outlaws on Twitter that will be pushing for that too, especially after this window. Um, but I want to ask you in comparison to uh, of the two teams there, because here we are talking about uh, having multiple world class options for Canada, and the states don't have a, a number nine, and they're cycling through players that 
you'd think would never be on the plane. Uh, Josh Zardis is a guy that I, I don't think is, is a, a World Cup uh, team player. Um, if you're one of these other nations and you have uh, Canada or the States uh, drawn in your group, who are you more afraid of? If you're Denmark or you're you know one of, one of these uh, one of these other European nations, uh, who would you rather have? Who would you be more afraid to see in your World Cup group? It's a, it's a great question, a fascinating one. You know, I think from a the, 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 they both play very different contrasting contrasting styles, right? I actually think I, I find myself liking the states more than most teams. Mm. Uh, they're a record away from home is abysmal, but that's not you know away from home in a World Cup. Everybody is apart from Qatar. I think they're built for tournament style because the reason why they can be they can look so defensive is because they don't have that game breaker. So Berhalter has them stay in games longer. You know, I also think they've got. They've really got tough players in McKenney and Pulisic. I know they've gone th- McKenney particularly has gone through some tough times off the field, Pulisic on the field. But you watch the way they won the Nations League game against Mexico, the final, and the Gold Cup game against Mexico. You know, that, you know, McKenney's just a leader in every man and every man, every every squad you want. A big time player. Uh, they're not going to be overawed by World Cups. Those players. So I don't think to answer your question, I don't, I don't think people should count them out. But from the Canadian point of view, they won't have that experience of World Cups. None of them will. Um, so that's a little bit something that teams will go, okay, they might be a bit vulnerable here. But that's also mm-hmm. a team that can rip you apart in five seconds from defense to attack in attacking transitions that the U.S. can't, that you need to be you know, very aware of. You know, Pulisic is an interesting guy. He's obviously a very talented player. Um, he fits in well under the pieces of Chelsea, of course. Um, we had a chat with Grant Wall and, and about – the situation where he is, you know, he's Captain America. He's he's supposed to be that uh, that guy. And the likes of Landon Donovan fit that situation really well. He was comfortable with it. Clint Dempsey was comfortable with it. I'm not sure he is comfortable being that guy. And they seem to lack you talk about leadership. And I know there is some there, but that arrogance about the American national team that they've always had in the past uh, that has given them a little bit of an edge. They seem to just miss that recently. And I don't know what it is, um, and I can't put a a finger on it exactly. Um, Maybe you can shed some light on that, KJ. No, I think it's a great point. But I do wonder whether we are seeing a new generation of people that lacks that anyway you know I, I i really do i don't think it's the uh, 10 15 years ago where we where leaders were just built and placed in teams and they had that 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 aggressive style anymore i think more and more people are like christian pulisic i think more and more people have have, mm-hmm. have come through that youth platforms where they've had a lot of success and it's come to them very early and we have to find different ways of finding leaders. I think McKenney's very different, which is why I quoted him earlier and, and mentioned him. Mm-hmm. I think he is very different, and his upbringing is very different. And I, as I said, I think he's tough, and he finds abilities to take over games. But what you're what you're asking for, Craig, is a great point. They don't have that like they've done in past generations. But I do think when I look around the world, I think that you could say that about a lot of teams that's and life in general. <laughs> yeah, that's that. That's, that's nowadays, and I, 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 I don't think know how they got it. And Dickio's spoken on the show about you know what it's like to to talk to players and and differently and how as a coach you know some you have to be aware that there's just a different tone this player X this player Y and I look at Greg Berhalter and I wonder is he almost in that zone as he's gone through a, a brand new crop of players where he doesn't necessarily relate to every one of them. You know what I mean? Especially in this window. I think the big criticism was, has he lost the room? That was uh, the beginning to be the question. And I almost feel as though the cycle 
of coaches is, is shorter because of how different the players are. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I think that's true. I'm a big Burhalter fan. You know, I, I don't know him personally to call him up right now, but I've had a lot of interviews with him and a lot of time around him, and he's a very smart guy. He's just a good person, guys. Mm. You know, I know everyone's slagging him off now for this mm. selfie, and I understand why. It's just, you know, but, you know, he just thinks very differently. And, you know, we had a discussion in our editorial meeting before One Soccer about how he said about Canada before the game, we want them to do well, just not on Sunday. And some people like Terry and even Ollie didn't take that very well. They thought it was condescending. They want to create this big rivalry up. And, and, and I, I agree with them if they feel that way, but I didn't th- I didn't, I honestly didn't take it that way. And when you, when you, in the eyes of the U S and you look to Canada, you just don't see that rivalry. Now it's going to evolve because Canada has just sorted them out again in Hamilton, but you need those chapters for it to become a rivalry and Berhalter just doesn't think that way. Um, so look, you know, what I will say is I do look at the U.S. with a lot of admiration and where the media covers the media covers the team and they're hard. And it reminds me a little about a bit about England because I think they're a little bit too hard. But I think that's good. And that's good for football culture. And we need to get there in Canada. People need thicker skins. People need to be able to feel comfortable criticizing players and coaches. And by the way, coaches and players need to feel like they're OK with that as well, because that's how you move forward as a football nation. Everything is rosy right now for Canada. But in 10 years, five years, two years, three years, it doesn't matter. It won't be. And when we're like that, you've got to be prepared to say, OK, this is what's going on now. How do we get better? And that's what the U.S. media are doing. How do we get better? Holding people accountable and putting their feet to the fire. And we need to get there as well as a nation eventually. And you know, I think we will, KJ. And I think that what's happening with the U.S. is a good example of what's going to happen to us years down the road. And that's the fact that there's going to be scrutiny. As yeah. this team wins and it's all rosy, like you say, but when people are now expecting results, expecting to this team to qualify all the time, which is going to happen anyway, but winning, winning, winning. Uh, that scrutiny is going to come down hard. So as good as it is on one side, it's going to be coming the other way if you're not doing well. And I think we've seen that in the United States since 94, really. Yeah. You know, I, I think those of us who have been in the business for, for a long time, you know, all of us on, on this podcast right now, we've held this team accountable in years past, right? They've been bad at times. There's been poor performances. We've criticized coaches. So I, I don't think we'll have difficulty, you know, uh, commenting on the adversity they will face at some point. And, you know, when John Herman's, you know, infectious positivity, you know, isn't quite as infectious, it happens. Um, it's going to be the rest of the, the, the new soccer media, and it's growing all the time. How will they react? Because you're right. Scrutiny is a great word to use, and every football nation has it. You know, we do it with hockey. Over here, to a certain degree, nothing like overseas in football, of course. But we do do it. So I, I hope we find that. I mean, not for a while, because I want this team to keep winning. It's a lot easier and more pleasant to cover a, a winning team Absolutely, than, yeah. than a losing team. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> but, you know, I don't think there's going to be much sympathy in this country if they if Canada comes out flat against Iran or lose to Albania in their opening game. Right, I think immediately you're going to be like, "What was the? What was this run and running through Concacaf like Drano? You can't handle Albania." There's an expectation, I think, that you know the diehards and and the the uh, mass sports fan now uh, expect from this team, right? Yeah, bars raised. I hope they get drawn in a really really tough group. I, I genuinely do, like a group of death. I want to see. I want Canada to be that like makes up the group of death in that fourth part if that's where they end up. You don't want I, Qatar then, Shams? I do not want Qatar. No, I want France. I haven't even looked at the pots yet. I mean, it's hard to know right now with the rankings not coming out, you know, for that until April. But I want to see an awful group that we can just celebrate every match. Holy crap, we're playing the Netherlands now. 
We're playing, I'd say Portugal, but that ain't going to happen probably, is it? Um, <laughs> North, North Macedonia, though. You might in North Macedonia, yeah. You know what I mean, though? Because I think that would be, I think fail, in, this, in a weird way, fail, failing, failing to qualify for the next round in the group of death might do more for this country than, than getting through a really weak group. Huh. Yeah. I and then being that. blown away in the round of 16, you know? I mean, yeah. I love that we can even discuss this now, fellas, quite honestly. Oh, I mean, how, how much fun is this? I mean, the build-up to the draw is going to be incredible. And, and we love a World Cup draw, eh, Cage? Oh, we do, buddy. We do, yeah. <laughs> so, so, you, so you're telling me you don't want Qatar, Algeria, and Switzerland? I, you know, I wouldn't watch. I wouldn't bother watching. <laughs> or Brazil or, uh, you know, and all those, Germany. All those or... fans of those countries are going to just have a go at me now. That's fine. <laughs> That's all right. Nothing not used to. That's like you um, said, we need a thick skin. Oh, yeah, <laughs> of course. Skin. Yeah, God, do we ever. Yeah, all absolutely. Wonga, you got a question there, mate? Yeah, I just had to mention there. within this interview, uh, it took nine minutes for footy show to get mentioned, KJ. So that's <laughs> nine minutes. Uh, at was that your bingo minutes. card? Were you expect you had a bingo card of like? Well, that's exa- I'm doing bingo right now. Yeah, at 21 minutes, score money. You, you old fuckers, 21 minutes <laughs> complaining about the younger people. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, look, you guys were all colleagues. Worst TV moment, KJ with with Sharms and uh, B. Wow, that's or B and Sharms. Too many to mention. Worst yeah. KJ moment. Yeah, I, I, I want to hear all about those bad moments for me. Many of those. Uh, worst TV moments. It was pretty I mean, positive. Yeah, I got yeah, some. Was. I got some worst TV moments, but they're not really very like positive. Like there was, like for me and Shams, like the Muamba day was tough. Shams. Yeah, like, that's that not a really fun difficult. story. But Doing that was the story, a, yeah, weren't we? I mean, yeah. second, the halftime show was just dedicated to that. Yeah, that was really difficult. Um, you know, on the fly, that reminded me a little bit with the Ericsson stuff, right? When mm-hmm. that happened at Euros, like we were texting back and forth, right? There's some tough moments about that, you know? I mean, avoiding the golf balls throwing down King Street during World Cup tonight and having to come inside studios to be on the outdoor patio, that was pretty fun during the, uh, what was that? What was that big thing that was in Toronto? The the conference, the G, what was G8, it? G eight, G twenty. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the riots. All the riots was... outside the uh, outside the 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 show, the studio well, during the World nothing Cup was worse. You know, the best, the worst thing for you. I've got it now. Right now, the worst thing for you was just before we got on air for um, World Cup tonight. Like literally, I'm doing my intro and and sitting beside you is Sid Sixero, yes, and, he, and he's he's drawing horrendous porn, and he's showing you the picture. Yeah, and in the, the amount, background you see the of, just freaking melting. Yeah, the amount of, I can't even say what was on those notes to this day because uh, uh, our friend who's on a national network right now could get fired. So. Yeah, no, awful things, <laughs> awful things. It, it, it was a different time. It was a different time, and there was, there's no uh, Big Brother HR cameras in that corner of the studio. There, the dark. It was the dark web before the dark web charms. Yeah, this was oh, before it, WhatsApp. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was it, absolutely that. We love yeah. it. Great. I don't have a bad moment with KJ, Sharms. No, like, no, I don't think so. No, we, they're all really well. I think you know, there, there, there were technical moments that would happen on a regular basis, yeah. covering live games, and yeah. you know, the, the, te- the tech would come down with a hammer and walk into the server room. It's like, oh god, what is going on now? Yeah, we could that write a book about this. I refer to a lot of these stories when I'm interviewing with uh, interns or college kids these days. Uh, I remember producing. See, people only remember the things that I was on the air with these two guys. But you know, I was in Sharm's ear for a couple of years producing the show as he's doing brilliant work with Budgie and PJ as well. So there's another time when we like Sharm's. We won't mention the guest, but a guest <laughs> comes in and uh, we gave him four minutes for a segment, and uh, Sharm's asked a question, and three minutes fifty five seconds later, he's still answering it. 
at that point we were just like we got to stop here uh, you got to jump it wasn't in, a good Sean. answer either it's just yeah, it wasn't wrong, it was it? yeah Sean stayed awake for it but that was another one we won't we won't say who it was but lo- lots of amazing stories like that yeah the eusebio one was tough too yes you said that poor guy barely didn't speak english hardly any english was just off a plane was exhausted and i'm trying yes. to interview him it was a it was a stretch there as what well, worked but... out for me there though is i never asked people for autographs i brought in a world cup 1966 program to bring him some memories back because obviously he was suffering from a little bit of dementia and i'd speak spoken to our friend bobby Arushi about it and i said should i bring it in he goes yeah it'd be great stories he can see the photographs of his teammates so he's looking at this 1966 world cup program eusebio and then uh, Bobby brings out this pen. He's like, sign this for KJ. So he signs this program for me. So I've got it right here in my office now. Oh, a 1966 World Cup program signed by the great Eusebio. I was like, wow. That's that was, great. That was now cool. available on eBay for $63. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or uh, more than that. KJ's address is uh, 239. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. We should bring in our 2000 Gold Cup program and get Craig to sign it. It'd be a lot of money as well. <laughs> you, you can find that on eBay for $8. Not the 2000 one, but... The 66 one, that's unbelievable. Yeah, Incredible, that would, yeah. That would, that would, I got a quick KJ story. It was uh, I was subbed in to host for Charms. This was the, my first time as a host. And the opening, there was a, a prompter set up, and I was thrown to something. So I'm reading off the teleprompter. And in this brand-new studio, they've got multiple cameras. And it's the, the jib, this the flying camera shot. Um, there's not usually a teleprompter on that, but at the score, we had one. So here I am reading off one camera. The jib comes in, and I look to it, and the prompter's gone. And I'm in the middle of this read. There's no prompter there. And I'm just like, blah, 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 fumbling through. And I'm looking at KJ trying to get to the point. And the, the, the eyes that KJ was looking at me were like, go on, mate. You got it. Yep. Keep going. Just keep <laughs> saying things. Yep. Get there. And I just remember like, the feeling of like, I'm drowning. And he couldn't say anything because I had to get to a certain point. But just the encouragement of his face. You're going to be okay. It's going to be okay. So I appreciate that, bro. You were always there. Thanks, mate. Like no, I appreciate that. It's good. Great time. <laughs> it's, always, it's always fun for me, uh, you know, when, when KJ was breaking all those TFC stories towards the end of Moe's era there, and I'd have to go down there and cover the team and get <laughs> freaking hammered by Mo. <laughs> Look at yeah. KJ, Christ sakes, where is it coming from, his information? I, I, ask him. Don't ask me. It's not my bloody fault. Jesus. I know. Mo is hard, man. I remember yeah. I got – we were doing a live game in Chicago, and uh, – uh, was it Chicago? Yeah, it was Chicago because they won on their first year, I think, didn't they? Their inaugural year, I think. So anyway, on the on the far end of the stadium, we were on commercial break, and there, there, I was looking at these the Wall of Fame, and I was like, "Well, that guy has no number. Who's that guy there?" And one of the camera guys or assistants in the studio says, "Oh, that was the first general manager," and I never knew that. I guess we we're we weren't hot on TV, but we were hot somewhere on the <laughs> internet, and I went. I wonder how fucking long it's going to be before Mo ends up with his uh, name up at TSC. Well, at the end of the game, I got a text from Mo, and he's already got messages. <laughs> and he wasn't too happy to say the least at the airport. He's like, "You're dead to me." <laughs> we remember KJ. We had Mo in the studio. Um, yeah, and he he was talking off the record to us, and he was saying, "Yeah, Beckham's coming. He's going to be on his way to." to, to to uh, MLS. That's right. And someone was listening. Don't know who it was. Actually, I do know who it was, but I won't mention. And suddenly it went viral. Right. Back, right. Behind the scenes of the score, Mo Johnson just confirmed Beckham's coming to MLS. I'd like, forgotten about that. You're right. Yeah. 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 Stuff about that one. Yeah, I remember Jeez. Mo calling me out of the blue once and uh, telling me to get a good lawyer. I, I remember that one too. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, that was an interesting yeah. one. Had a few of those conversations. Uh, yeah, but <laughs> hey, it's all part of the learning learning process, right? Had a hey, good man, time you, breaking. You're, you're doing something right. That's what we it means. we broke a few stories there at the score, Charles. <laughs> Chris did. Cummins we with did. his uh, with his video and Ali Gerber and many of those guys. That so was pretty fun. <laughs> That's right. Oh god. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, tell uh, us quickly about your gig now, the CPL VP of Media and Content. Um, how, how's that growing? What are your thoughts moving forward with CPL? Yeah, I have to say I've really enjoyed it. You know, love it. Love the league. I uh, love the quality of play. It's really impressed me through the uh, through the third year. And, then, you know, that was what's really, really stuck with me watching the games. Um, you know, it's a pathway for young Canadians to move forward. And we've already seen that now with McNaughton signing for TFC and others will get opportunities for that. So it's um, it's it's genuinely great. You know, and I mean, I use the word genuine because that's what it feels like. You know, it's an open league for anybody to come in. The tickets are pretty cheap to go watch. You can watch live football in your own market. Young players are getting opportunities. Um, we are, we encourage young media members to jump into our press conferences, come in and ask questions, get to know the league. I uh, give you great experience for that as well. It's a league that's growing great with obviously with the with the TV broadcast that wants soccer every game live, uh, which is really important for our league as well. Uh, so I you know I've, I've loved it. I've loved every minute of it, guys. It's a busy gig, but you know it's uh, it's one that it's really nice to be involved in the back end of the league as well and working on things like scheduling and promotions and. And, you know, all, all that stuff about how we highlight this with the league and, and you know, it just works hand in hand with, with Canadian soccer as well. So it's it's been great. Thanks. And how incredible is it really when you look at Forge and what they've done to get to the last 16 of the CONCACAF Champions League uh, against an absolute powerhouse in our region of Cruz Azul. They're going to be playing at home. What is it? February 16th. And then yeah. away at Azteca on the 25th of February. What an opportunity who knows what's going to happen? It's David versus the Goliath, but just the fact in a sh- short period of time that this league has been around and the disruptions with COVID and etc. It really is an achievement that I never thought I would see so early. Yeah, I'm with you again, mate. It's a fantastic point. Uh, you know, the, it's a the team that's three years old that has played one full season, one island games, and one season during COVID, and earned the right to get into the last sixteen of the Concacaf Champions League. By the way, they went handed the place. They went out and they went to Central America. They went to these places. They went away from home multiple times and won and earned the right through the Concacaf League to get in there. They weren't mm-hmm. presented with anything and placed with anything. And I have to say that team. I know they didn't win our league because they lost in the final at home to Pacific, and you know they, were, they had an unbelievable year. But they play some of the most attractive football I've seen. You know, and, you know, I know you've had Bobby on, and he's such a leader in Canadian soccer. But the way that he he, he challenges this team to be tactically astute and getting his fullbacks coming midfield and, and playing high up the field and having everybody quality on the ball at the, at the back. You know, for me, it's uh, it's 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 a fantastic club to watch and the way they're organised and you know they just continue to do that. Getting Ashton Morgan in now to replace Kwame Awuor, they're going to be an absolute force again in the in the, in the twenty twenty two. And talking a, a little bit about Bobby, coaches are also getting great opportunities. Um, and an interesting one that probably the most interesting thing about Bobby I found was that when he said for his whole career coaching, it's always been about developing, uh, developing players and winning wasn't important. And he wanted to challenge himself because all of a sudden winning is important. It's the only thing that really matters. And that is a different world. And I never really thought about it. But uh, from his standpoint, it was a, a, something that he really wanted to challenge himself with. And so far, he hasn't missed a beat. And also David Edgar being a part of it, former player, now moving right into the coaching realms. I think this is just the whole thing about CPL is, uh, is exciting. 
Yeah, I agree. And Bobby's, you know, he's not a self-promoter. You know, he's not that kind of guy. He just keeps his head down. But, you know, I can say, I've said it before, but not many people, too many people know, like that guy could have got the Montreal job. No, he was he was, he was offered that job, you know, b- b- before Nancy took the job last year. You know, he got very close to getting over the line in the negotiations. And that just shows you that MLS teams are keeping an eye on this league, whether it's coaches or players. And, you know, again, it's that it's that pathway that Craig talked about, that competitive environment. And, um, you know, Bobby's a Canadian gem and more and more people need to understand that. Yeah, we, you know, we spoke to Bobby a couple of days ago now, and that podcast is doing really well. It's downloads right now. So it shows that a Canadian coach in a Canadian league uh, is, is you know, getting a lot of interest around Canada. So awesome. that's a big move forward, I think, for, for the game in this country. KJ, uh, listen, mate, thanks so much. This is great. Really enjoyed it. We'll get you on again real soon. Um, we should invite you out to the tent at some point and do one of our in-person podcasts. Please. It's a bit yeah. out of hand sometimes, but uh, it's literally fine. a tent. It's literally that's, a tent. That sounds great to me. I've, listen, boys, I've loved every second of it keep up the great work i love it thanks, thanks mate that's christian jack uh, you'll find him on twitter you'll find him everywhere you know who he is um our thanks also to nick bontis csa president earlier in today's show uh wonga b craig thanks fellas that was a lot of fun and uh, we'll be back on um sunday night monday morning for uh, our rap show see you later <laughs>